Welcome to The Cold Truth, CryoCure's podcast where we speak with industry leaders to dispel myth from truth and help the world better understand the ever-changing cannabis landscape. And now, here are your hosts, CryoCure founders, Greg Bachman and Tracy McAfee. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Cold Truth. Today, we have a really special guest who's going to answer a lot of questions for us. He's well-known in the industry. He's been around, and we're going to go ahead and pass it over to Ryan Douglas, who will introduce himself to you guys. Ryan? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to speak with you today. Um, so my name is Ryan Douglas. I'm a cultivation consultant. And what I do basically is help cannabis companies to run more profitable cultivation sites. So what that involves is usually working with the owner or the CEO of a cannabis business, and we work together to ensure that their startup projects are a success, or we work to help optimize their existing operations already. Excellent. And you have a really interesting background that I was so intrigued with when I visited your website. Uh, I saw that you had some really interesting experience in Canada. Can you tell us about that? Absolutely. So for the last five years, I've worked as an independent consultant working on cannabis projects internationally. Uh, but before that, I was hired to launch cultivation for Canopy Growth Corporation. So back in 2013, uh, they hired me before the company had a license. Once we were licensed, then I developed the, the initial um, production facility designs, hired the initial crew, acquired the genetics, established the protocols, and really helped Canopy launch what became the foundation of their cultivation program for the first three years of the company. That's incredible. I was so intrigued by that. I could only imagine the massive undertaking that was with the plans I'm sure they had for the growth that, you know, that they were on and still are. What do you see as far as the state of the industry goes, you know, like in Michigan, Washington, do you think it's going to recover or what, at what point do you see, is it just going to stop being a race to the bottom? Do you think? That's a, a, a pertinent question. And I think it's on, on the top of every grower's mind. Um, a few weeks ago, I presented at uh, MJ BizCon and part of my presentation was kind of an overview of the industry, a state of the industry. And what I did in particular was look at a couple of states that had medical cannabis programs for a couple of years and adult use programs for a couple of years and just looked at the trends of these states. And so what we found really isn't much of a surprise to anyone is that these more mature states have either flatlined or slightly decreased in overall sales. And so I think we'll continue, unfortunately, to see that, that kind of a, um, a trend but I mean, I don't think it's going to fall off a cliff. It's just, it comes down to basic economic principles, right? It comes down to supply and demand. And so the excitement and a lot of the economic opportunity is in these new states that are either initiating medical programs for the first time or adult use programs for the first time. Um, but naturally, once the cultivation capacity within that state ramps up, uh, you've got a lot more producers, you have a lot more cannabis available. And so naturally the price goes down. So it's it's a benefit for the consumer because now the consumer has a lot more options and the price is lower, but for business owners, uh, it can definitely be anxiety inducing. Yes, so I, think, I don't think it's gonna fall off a cliff, but I think we'll kind of come to a point where it kind of flatlines and then naturally uh, things come to an equilibrium where you're going to have some companies that simply go out of business, but that's not any different than any other industry, right? I mean, no one is promised 
just because they get into the cannabis industry with a cultivation business, no one's promised anything, but you aren't in any other industry either. And so we don't really need a crystal ball to imagine what the future looks like. We just kind of use basic economic principles, look at supply and demand, and look at trends in other states that have been operating for a number of years, just like you mentioned in Michigan. Right. So for our, and speaking of the, um, our friends here in Michigan, um, you know, they have cultivations that are currently struggling. Do you know, um, what could a cultivation that's currently struggling, struggling in that type of market do? What kind of efficiencies can they practice? Can they to, pivot to yeah, something else? You know, or? are they too big to fail? Or is it kind of one not too big to fail? Are they too big to pivot. make those kinds of adjustments in their, in their grow to afford those types of economies? Yeah, so that's kind of like a multi-pronged question. So in my experience, and uh, as a consultant, but also my experience as a grower, every operation can stand to be a little bit more efficient, right? And so as a consultant, I have the benefit of bringing a fresh perspective because I've never been on that site before. I'm not part of the team. I'm not an employee. And as a grower, uh, Greg, you know, as a grower, we, if you walk into a production facility for the first time, within 20 minutes, a number of red flags present themselves. Uh, but if you're working in this facility, you know, six or seven days a week, sometimes you're so focused on just uh, getting to the next step that you never have a chance to step back or get a fresh perspective. And so part of your answer is that there's ways where, in my opinion, most operators can become more efficient. And so it might be incorporating what people are calling crop steering or data-driven growing, which is simply the use of a lot of sensors and then uh, it'll, when you combine that with software, it allows the grower to kind of collect data, analyze it, and then make decisions where they provide the plant only what it needs in terms of water or fertilizer or inputs. It gives it just what the plant needs exactly when it needs it and nothing more. And so on the one hand, you're growing the healthiest plants you can that are yielding as much as they can, but you're also um, lowering your operating expenses as low as they can go. So I think there's always room for improvement. And in my experience, honestly, a lot of growers, especially business owners, they don't really know what it costs them to produce a pound of cannabis. And so you can go to conferences or you can, you know, read stuff and you have an idea of what would be ideal. And you kind of have an idea of what the industry standard is, but a lot of companies actually don't know what it costs them to grow. So in terms of improvement, one is being sure what it costs you to produce a pound of cannabis to sell wholesale for flour. And the second point would be to increase efficiencies through technology or different process improvements. But the question is now, if you have a lot of growers that are being very efficient, they're producing excellent product, then it's almost like any other industry. How do we stand out or how do we kind of future-proof our business? And so maybe one piece of advice I would give folks is to consider supplementing their revenue by not just selling flour. And so there's a number of ancillary businesses that are of tremendous benefit to growers. And in my opinion, are in great demand, but there's very few suppliers. And so those are things like young plant producers, companies that simply um, outsource, that do the propagation for the grower. For instance, like a nursery, for instance, is that what you're saying? Like just, you know, focus on vegging plants for other growers with certain genetics? Exactly, exactly. So all they do is hold stock plants, they take cuttings, and they send off the cuttings. So no vegetative growth, no flowering, no post-harvest, nothing. So one is to be a young plant supplier. Another is to provide tissue culture services. 
And maybe a third would be to provide these diagnostic lab services because you know that there's a handful of viruses that infect cannabis and hemp. And as cannabis cultivation can, continues to expand in the US, we're gonna have more diseases jumping from conventional crops to cannabis. And so, you know, the problems that growers have with a hop latent viroid, I mean, that came from, I mean, it's in the name where it came from, hops, right? And so you have a handful of other diseases attacking cannabis in the next five or 10 years, they're going to have, we're going to have even more. So for growers, we know when our crop looks off and we have a number of tools to fix issues, but in order to kind of, uh, determine how it is we're going to improve the crop. We need to know exactly what the cause is. And with these viruses, they look really funny. They have a number of different ways of manifesting themselves in the crop. And so having a diagnostic lab where you send a sample of your uh, crop, if it's affected, or if you're just doing random tests, uh, we really need these labs to be able to tell growers that yes, a certain percentage of your crop is infected with this disease, or to the contrary, no, everything's very clean. So in terms of how do you future-proof your business in states where there's a lot of competition, I think offering these kind of services like young plant production, tissue culture services, or diagnostic lab services to help growers identify and fix uh, disease problems in their crop. I, that's brilliant. That's one of the things I read in one of your articles that intrigued me a lot because we see people struggling and it's just nice to know that if they recognize, they can take those steps to change a direction or add on to what they're doing. I think that's great. Um, what do you think the next big thing is coming into our industry then? I kind of jump off that a little bit. What do you think uh, you see coming in big and strong as far as, um, is it processing? Is it a different way of cultivating? What are you seeing out there right now? So honestly, I think one of the biggest trends we're going to see probably in the next three to five years is the transition from indoor cultivation to greenhouse cultivation. And so just like we had mentioned a few minutes ago, the price pressure in some of these states where production has become saturated, um, I think it's going to become more and more difficult to remain competitive growing indoors simply because we can only lower our cost of production so much. I mean, the two biggest operational costs for any cultivation business are typically electricity and labor. Sometimes rent is, is in the top three, but you know, regardless of how efficient these lights are, indoor grow-ups use a lot of lights. And so they're requiring a lot of HVAC and they're requiring a lot of dehumidification. So all this stuff runs on energy. And I think that even short of federal legalization of cannabis, which I think we all agree is kind of far off, short of that, I think we'll see some steps in that direction, right? We were hoping to see some sort of safe banking legislation this year, but after that, or in addition to that, a lot of people are assuming we'll be able to um, uh, ship cannabis between states that contains THC. And so once that happens, indoor growers in the Northeast U.S., for example, are going to have to compete with greenhouse growers in the Southwest U.S. And so when you build a greenhouse in a place that's very conducive to growing cannabis, you can do so at a low cost of production. And if you have the right greenhouse and the right grower, you can maintain really good quality. And so what I think is as companies, as new companies come online or existing companies expand, they're going to be looking at greenhouses as a way either as their primary source of cultivation or a way to supplement, kind of offset the carbon footprint of their indoor facilities. 
So I think we're going to see a lot of high-tech greenhouses and more greenhouse production, especially in areas of the of the U.S. where it's conducive to growing cannabis, which in my opinion is is the Southwest U.S. Do you think there'll still be room, though, if uh, those indoor growers focus on the needs of a particular cultivar? Do you think it, there, there's room for craft flower to always hold its price? Because there's a difference between the different ways, you know, the mm -hmm. different methods. So do you think there'll still be room for the fine craft flower that that will survive? Of course, of course. So I, what I what I'm referring to more is larger grow ups, like 100,000 square foot indoor and larger. I don't think we're going to see as many of those in the coming years as we have in the past. But you're absolutely right. There is room for craft growers. And, you know, I think part of it comes down to, I think growers will have to invest as much energy and resources into marketing and branding as they do growing. And so I'm definitely not a branding expert, but I recognize the importance of that. But absolutely. And, and I think when we talk about adult use cannabis, I think it's safe and I think it's fair to make parallels to uh, alcohol. And so as a beer drinker, I mean, it's obvious to me, you've got kind of your low cost national brands that you can buy in every convenience store in every state, and it's about the same price. But then right next to that, you've got dozens of, of craft beer. And so they're different. Uh, they cost more, they're local. And so that appeals to someone like me. So certainly there's always going to be a market for both. Uh, but I think branding and marketing and relationships with dispensaries or retail are going to have to take kind of as much priority as the actual cultivation themselves. Because even if you grow something amazing, if nobody knows about it, you're never going to sell it. That's right. Amen. So you mentioned um, crossing state lines, and that's what we all hope for here in the United States. Um, so something that's in my travels and my experience dealing with big cultivations and cultivations overseas, I've Come familiar with a term uh, GMP, you know, which is good manufacturing practices for all of our listeners that don't understand what that is. Now, you have some experience with that, right, Ryan? Correct. Yeah. So, can you explain to our listeners a little bit, kind of, what GMP is, what it, how much it's involved in the need to export currently? Sure. So, GMP stands for Good Manufacturing Practices, and it's essentially a quality management system. And so really the two goals are, one is to create a consistent product, but also guarantee the safety of the consumer. And so when it comes to cultivation, it's a bit tricky because you cannot get GMP certification for uh, the cultivation portion of a business. You can become GMP certified starting at the harvest and everything after the post-harvest because you can control everything right down to the smallest detail and make it consistent and repeatable. In a greenhouse or outdoors, even indoors, there's a little bit more um, variability. And so there's different kinds of quality management certifications for growing, but GMP, what you are asking about is specific to the post-harvest process when it comes to cannabis cultivation. And so when we look at these European countries, um, what they're looking for is a, a very rigorous certification process that will guarantee that the product they're importing is consistently produced and safe for the consumer. And so in the U.S. at the moment, it's not a requirement because cannabis isn't federally legal. 
And so you guys have been to a lot of groups just like me, and you've probably seen, you know, the entire spectrum where, you know, some, it looks like they're growing inside of a, a pharmaceutical lab and others you don't even want to step foot into, right? Literally I've been in groups where you've got the wires are hanging and there's two inches of water on the floor. And it's like, I don't even want to walk through there, but because it's not federally legal, there aren't uh, surprise audits by, well, there's really no federal agency that's enforcing the rules. Everything's different state to state. Get involved then? I mean, do you think the FDA will be the equivalent of our GMP type standards at some point? So that's uh, that's tricky to say. There's going to be an agency that that kind of makes the rules and another agency that enforces it. Right? Yeah. Okay. And so it's hard to say which which agency is going to do which. But at the moment, I mean, you really don't even need SOPs, right? A lot of companies will buy kind of template SOPs off the internet, attached to their license, and then once they get the license, they just do whatever they want, right? The SOPs sit on a shelf or in a hard drive somewhere. And so we, no one really needs to follow SOPs because there's no enforcement. But I only recognize the difference because when I worked in Canada, it's a much different situation up there. And so because it was federally legal for medicinal use, uh, the rules were very clear. And we had, um, we had audits every four weeks in our production facility for the two and a half years, three years that we were, that I was operating with, with Canopy. And so these regulators would come in and they would request to look at a certain SOP. And then I would have to walk them to the part of the facility where my employees were performing that task. And if they weren't doing exactly what the SOP said, you know, we were in trouble. And they would also come in and request to look at uh, video camera footage of different areas on different days. And again, if there's any hint of non-compliance, um, it would be a problem. But that doesn't exist in the U.S. now. So what I think is that as we approach federal legalization, I mean, nobody knows when, but also I don't think anyone believes it's not going to happen. You've got 78% of the U.S. states allow cannabis in some form. So it's the momentum is there. I don't think we're going backwards. But as we approach federal legalization, I think the companies that will be in the best position for that are ones that are voluntarily implementing some kind of a quality management system already whether they're good agricultural practices or good manufacturing practices or ISO, whatever, those are all quality management systems. They're built on strong SOPs with the goal of guaranteeing that the product, the production is consistent and safe for the consumer. So it's not a question of which one of these quality management systems should growers select. You just pick one and you stick with it. And then once these federal regulations come into play down the road, you're going to be in a much better position to pivot or modify slightly as opposed to having to go back and redo the entire cultivation site. Excellent advice. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things why we love CryoCure is that drying and curing is one of the hardest things to get consistent if you're trying to get into a GMP validation process. It can be done, but it's very, it's, it's very difficult yeah. to really dial it in consistently Based every on time on with an SOP. Yeah. So uh, that's one of the things we really appreciate about CryoCure and uh, helping people be GMP, EU GMP compliant mm -hmm. with that part of our technology. That's more and more now when I have a chance to speak and write about it, I really like to emphasize the importance of automating and controlling the post-harvest part. And then when it comes down to curing, how long you do it, there's really no standard. And then how, you know, how is the process 
progressing is dependent on the nose that's stuck in the jar at the moment. And so yeah. anything like CryoCure that can standardize or automate the process is worth the investment, in my opinion. Absolutely. I, I believe you. so too. You know, it is, I talk to people who, you know, working on GMP of traditional drying and honestly, a guy, it just it boggled my mind of how, what the the lengths that you have to go you know create a drying room for each individual cultivar you know have it exact you know the exact temperature the exact humidity the exact timing hope that it's the exact density because like you said you know you can't grow in a gmp compliant because i don't know is there anybody that's ever been able to get gmp certified on their cultivation side at all that you know of not to my knowledge, only uh, good agricultural practices. So exactly. So that means that the, the consistency of their cultivars can vary depending upon what time of the, of the year it is. I mean, even indoor cultivars, I've seen varieties change with the time of the year. And I've kept everything consistent, you know, inside the room as a grower. So to have that type of drying room to where you can consistently guarantee that, okay, that's going to be at this moisture content. It's going to be ready in seven days, you know? Yeah. Maybe in the wintertime when it's drier, but what about in the summertime when it's more humid, it might take 10 days. So, you know, to be out of compliance with those SOPs in that GMP type of setting is scary. So I do see CryoCure as a way to kind of get around that and validate different drying times with different cultivars and get it within, and be consistent. within that window of consistency. So, you know, that is one of the things. So yeah, that GMP thing, thank you very much for letting our your listeners know because i don't think they have the i they don't understand yeah they're gonna have to start practicing one efficiencies and two getting ready for if it does become federally legal if you want to expand or if you want to move state to state you're going to have these type of oversights and these types of compliance that you're going to have to adhere to you're not going to get away with growing outside you know in acres and acres i mean some people might have special licenses dependent upon the states but it's going to be a little bit more difficult, man. You know, be careful what you wish for is kind of yeah. what we're trying to say. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think, unfortunately, we'll come under even tighter scrutiny than any kind of like a food or beverage manufacturing business just because it's cannabis and just because it's a controlled substance. So I think the sooner companies can wrap their head around a quality management system, regardless of which, which one it is, I think it's going to help uh, position them to succeed in the future. Absolutely. So too. Yeah. So I think we forgot to mention that we're you're doing this broadcast from Colombia right now, yes. and you've worked in Colombia as you'd said for many years. What's what's it like growing cannabis in Colombia? What's the business atmosphere like? So growing cannabis here is great because it's really an agricultural country, and if you pick the right spot, it's the perfect conditions year round, and so the the business uh, interests initially uh, around 2016, 17, 18, the goal here was for these international cannabis companies to set up shop in, in Colombia to be able to grow on a large scale at a low cost of production, extract the active ingredient and then export it to other countries. And so initially you had a lot of interest, a lot of investment, but I think what happened is uh, people began to realize there aren't that many countries that are actually importing uh, cannabis. And so you've got a ton of licenses here in Colombia. Only a handful are actually uh, scaled up and operating on a large scale. But I think even they are having trouble finding clients for what it is they're growing. So I don't think, 
I don't think any company down here is <clears throat> is maxed out and selling everything they grow. Sounds like a horrible nightmare. Yeah, I, I read <laughs> so, like build it, and no one comes. I, oh, I read man. an article about I think it was of all things on like blacklist on Instagram where they talked about the efficiencies and how uh, certain cultivators brag about you know the price per pound and or price per gram um, and. From what I heard is Columbia is the cheapest to produce. They said, I think it was six cents a gram, if I remember oh, right, yeah. but it was just like ridiculously cheap. And so, you know, when the walls do come down and we'll have those type of people to compete with, you know, here in the States. So it's like, it's scary. Do you know, is that, does that sound accurate to you? What I just said? Yeah. So that would, that would apply more to outdoor growing. Even the greenhouses here are pretty rudimentary. It's basically bamboo frames and plastic. So they're not climate controlled at all. It just keeps rain off of the crop. But if it's raining outdoors, you know, it's almost hundred percent humidity indoors. And so one of the trade-offs to growing so inexpensively is the lack of control. And so that's why I think the opportunity is in the extraction or the isolation of the active ingredient and then the exportation. So I think you're right because it'll be impossible to grow or well, let's just say THC isolate. I think it'll be impossible to do that less expensive in the U.S. than to simply have it done in South America and, and import it into the U.S. Right. Once, once we're allowed to do so federally. But what I don't see is, you know, container loads of cannabis flour from Colombia entering the U.S. and competing with the market there. So right. what I think will be interesting is, you know, in a dispensary that offers 30 different varieties or, you know, for MJ BizCon, I was at um, Planet 13. You know, you get 3000 options, right, <laughs> of flour to buy. And so what I could see is something, you know, one of these uh, land race strains that kind of have the name recognition from Colombia being one of the options in a dispensary. But I don't see the flower production replacing production in the U.S. because because of the lack of control over quality, you're going to have everything you would expect from an outdoor crop in the flower. Yeah. So extracting the act active ingredient where the client actually never sees the flower but they just get you know 99% pure isolate there's a business model that makes sense and not just for the US every other country that legalizes cannabis typically imports while their domestic production capacity ramps up and so it's just a question of kind of changing the shipping label but i don't see flower competing with US flower in the US but isolating and extracting the active ingredients i think yes there'd be some competition there for sure. Well, while you were in Colombia, you were there during COVID. So you were very productive because you wrote this incredible book there, right? This is Ryan's book, From Seed to Success. And to me, it's like a Bible for anybody that's thinking of getting into cannabis cultivation. It is a very good read. Um, insightful, very, it's very insightful. insightful. It's not too Even technical. For people, if you think you're a master grower, if you think yeah, you, you know everything, pressure. there's things like in this book that, that you will yeah. need. It's excellent, Ryan. Thank you. Do you uh, just wanted to give you a nice plug on your book. We keep copies here for any of our guests that come and I keep having to order them from Ryan because they go very quickly. This is our copy um, and, and no <laughs> one can have this one, uh, but it is a great reference just to thumb through even after you've read it once, just to keep yourself in check. Because like Ryan said, when you're in the thicket of the weeds, it's so easy to oversee the obvious. 
And that happens to me in marketing and advertising. I can miss a typo 50 times, but someone looks at it and finds it right away. This book is a great reminder of how to keep your business on track and motivate your team as well. And do you have any other books on the realm? Uh, you know, hopefully you won't get shut in for the next yeah. one, but what's, what's, next? what's next? I was thinking of writing one about optimizing, optimizing grow ops, because I think really 2023 is going to be the year of optimization for a lot of the reasons we just discussed here. So I think the most successful businesses are going to be the ones that are most efficient and can really dial in their operations. So <clears throat> I think a lot of growers are still kind of operating kind of like in the olden days where regardless of how inefficient you were, you still made money. And so I think those days are quickly coming to an end and the most successful businesses will be the ones that operate most efficiently. So since that book is about launching a business, I thought it would make sense. Maybe the second one would be about operating and optimizing existing operations. Well, that makes, makes sense. sense to me. I'll look forward to that one too yeah. and reading it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, okay, because this show is called The Cold Truth and what we're here to do is dispel myths within our industry. What do you see is the number one thing that either people do wrong or is the biggest misinformation that's out there that you'd like to share with our listeners? Uh, probably the biggest myth, I think, is that cannabis is totally different than any other, any other crop out there. And so my background in training actually is in traditional horticulture. So I was growing ornamental crops and hydroponic vegetables in commercial greenhouses for a decade and a half before I transitioned to cannabis. And so I've got kind of a special perspective in that I've grown flowers, I've grown vegetables and on a commercial scale, and I've grown cannabis on a commercial scale. And in my opinion, 80 or 90% of the plant production principles growing flowers and vegetables apply directly to cannabis. So there's you know 15 or 20% that's very unique to cannabis and very special, but the majority of the process in the production philosophies and the principles of growing plants on a large scale <clears throat> are exactly the same. And so kind of one of the problems I see with startups is naturally because they're launching a cannabis operation, uh, they believe they need someone that only has cannabis experience. And so the problem is if you pull someone that's maybe a home grower that has a lot of marijuana knowledge or experience growing on a small scale, when you put them in a commercial facility, it's a world of difference. And so half of the job of a grower oftentimes has nothing to do with cannabis at all. It has right. to do with managing facilities and production plans and people, which is extremely challenging. Yeah. And so I think the biggest myth is, is sometimes when you have maybe growers from the legacy market or illicit market, and they won't listen to someone like myself that comes from conventional horticulture because they believe uh, they're just two different worlds, cannabis and then everything else. And that's simply not the case. So a lot of, a lot of clients I've had hired home growers and their production program actually implodes before they can even sell a gram of cannabis for exactly the reasons I just mentioned, that learning curve was unexpected and turned out being pretty expensive. And so that's not the case with every, every grower, but oftentimes if you pull a commercial grower from a conventional horticulture and you pair them with a subject matter expert or a consultant for a short period of time, kind of bring them up to speed on cannabis, you know, the best growers are trained to learn <clears throat> how to grow new crops quickly. And so switching from hydroponic vegetables or flowers to cannabis isn't that much of a leap because there's so much uh, that is similar. 
So I think one of the biggest myths is that is that growing cannabis and growing everything else is, is totally different. But in my opinion, we can actually benefit from decades of, of research and conventional plant production practices and apply them to cannabis to run more efficient businesses. Well, that's very fascinating. Makes well, sense to me. Yep, absolutely. I agree. Well, great. Uh, anything else that you wanted to add, Greg, or ask Ryan? Uh, no, that was, I. that's pretty much it. You know, I mean, if you need to ask him anything else, you could pretty much find the answer. And Ryan's well, really yeah. accessible too. That was one of the great things. I just reached out to Ryan randomly. I was really impressed with his work and wanted to uh, meet up with him and introduce our technology to him. And he was so great at responding. It's Ryan Douglas Cultivation. Ryan, is your website? DouglasCultivation.com. DouglasCultivation.com. Be sure to check out his site and pick up his book like we mentioned. Be sure to catch us on future episodes. We've got some really fantastic guests lined up. And Ryan, thank you for joining us. I was so delighted to always spend quality time with you. And thank oh, you for pleasure. do for our industry. Yeah. We really appreciate you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. You have been listening to The Cold Truth, where we explore and break the myths that surround the cannabis plant and ever-changing industry. A special thank you to our guests for their expertise. Have myths you're able to dispel? Join us as a guest, or let us know what topics you would like to learn more about by contacting us at info at cryocure.com. Thank you for listening, and see you on our next episode.